Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See, the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan, and each of us get there a log, and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, Go. Then one of them said, Be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a log, his axe head fell into the water, and he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? When he showed him the place, he cut off a stick, and he threw it in there and made the iron float. And he said, Take it up. So he reached out his hand and took it. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Westside. We are glad that you are with us today. And very peculiar passage that we're going to dive into here in just a second. But um, one thing I did want to lay in front of you is that fall is quickly approaching. And here at Westside, yeah, right, all of uh, the people who do not enjoy the heat are like, all right, the fall. Um, One of the things that we do is we sort of ramp up some different ministries when it comes to the fall. And what we do from about September um, to Christmas time is we have our Westside men and Westside women ministries. And so um, Westside men is getting ready to launch And a few things have changed. We're actually going to be meeting now on Monday nights at 6.30, okay? So Monday nights at 6.30. If you're a guy 16 years or older, we want you to come and hang out. There's always food. We have a time of some quick singing together, which is one of my favorite things, to hear a room full of men sing. And then there's a short teaching. I'll teach and expand on Sunday's sermon. And then you're at a table with like-minded men who are living the same life that you are. And there's some discussion questions, but here's the cool thing. There's a table leader, and you guys do prayer requests. How can I pray for you this week? And then that table leader throughout the week will either text, send an email, or a Facebook message and just check in and say, hey guys, checking in on the middle of the week. Here were our prayer requests. How were those things going? And let me tell you something. We have seen through Westside men, men who did not know each other, become close best friends where their families are hanging out and living life together. If there's one thing I do know, all right, just to uh, bash the men for a quick second before the sermon, okay? Um, Dudes are not good at making friends and they're not good at really living in community with other men. Okay, Um, we'll charge into battle. Um, We'll hunt beasts that could kill us. But when it comes to like making friends, we become five years old again. Okay, and so listen, this is an opportunity for you to live life with other men. But one of the things that we're doing to launch Westside Men is we have our Dudes Day that is coming up. We are super excited about this event. It's going to be September 17th at 3 p.m. at the Bly Farm. If you have any questions about where that's at, what's going to be happening. You can stop by the info center. I mean, God, guns, and grub. I'm just saying, okay? It is going to be a great time. This is going to be a time where we launch into the year to live in community together. So listen, guys, please put this on your calendar. Make time to be a part of this. I promise you, I promise you, if you come to this event, even if you're like, I don't even want to come to this, come to this event, and when you leave, 
you will be grateful that you came to this event, okay? So please keep an eye out on all of that. You're going to be hearing tons of stuff about Westside women as well, and we are excited about what God is doing, okay? Enough of the announcements. We are in a series entitled Defining Moments, and what we are learning about is that there are times in our life where um, some call it coincidence, some call it luck. We call it the very providence of God. And there's moments in our life that we know, hey, this is, this is special. This is defining. It can be good. It can be an anniversary. It can be a birthday. It can be um, the birth of a child. It can be just a simple text message. It can be a whole number of things where we know, wow, this event has made an impact on me. Oftentimes, a defining moment might be one that's filled with, with suffering and with heartache. When someone says, hey, I think we need to have a conversation. And by the end of that conversation, you realize, wow, my, my life is going to change now in light of this. These are defining moments. And so just a little bit of review. We said this is what a defining moment is to define a defining moment. You see what I did there? It's the word define used twice. Okay, if you're going to be like that, I'll preach angry today, okay? All right? This is what a defining moment is. A defining moment is an experience that is memorable, meaningful, and missional, okay? It's memorable. It obviously sticks out. We talked about dates, September the 11th, or anything like that. Um, meaningful. It made a profound impact on your life. Good, bad, but there's nothing in between on a defining moment, right? And then the last thing is missional. And here's what I mean by that. It changes the trajectory of your life. Oftentimes, this is how tragedy works or suffering. Tragedy always changes the trajectory of our life. That is what a defining moment is. And here's why we said it's so important. We can't control when these defining moments happen to us. We have no control over that. We have no idea um, when our life is going to change or when these moments happen. We can't control that. But we said this, the quality of our lives is dependent on how we respond to these defining moments. We can't control the timeline of when it happens. But contrary to popular belief, we can control how we respond to it. And that, my friends, really determines the quality of someone's life. This is where we go from possibly being a victim to being a victor of this experience not defining us per se, but refining us and changing and all of these things. This is why we're taking time to look at that. We've walked through a series of events. We said that this congregation has had defining moments all the way from its inception in the early 60s to now. We have even walked through the defining moment that our congregation experienced just a little bit more than a month ago with the tragic passing of JT. And so we've talked about these defining moments, but here's where the Bible comes in on that. The Bible is literally filled. The pages that you read are defining moments in people's lives. And it's all about the timing. 
I mean, it's all about the timing when something happens. I loved what Adam said when he said those promptings that we have to reach out with someone. Please listen to me. Anytime that I'm praying, driving in the car, and God places someone on my heart and mind, and I, and I obey the Spirit in those times, and, and I send a text or I call, always, 99.9% of the time, the person will either break down crying or go, do you have a microphone in my house or something? Because, man, this is that time. Well, in those times when that defining moment happens, there's actually a word for it. Right? Okay? So, um, in, in the original language the Bible was written, there's two words for the word time. The first one is chronos, which is where we get the word chronological from. That's minutes, seconds, hours, days, weeks, months, years, all of that. Tick-tock, tick-tock, but not the app, right? That's chronos, just a sequence of time. Wah-wah, right? And time, by the way, is undefeated. And so is the internet as well. Those two things are undefeated, right? So it's chronos, but interesting. In a defining moment according to the Bible, that's not the word that the Bible uses. What's the word again the Bible uses? Let's go, man. You guys are learning. This is great. The Bible uses the word kairos. Kairos is not chronological time. We've defined it this way. A kairos moment, a defining moment, is God's time and our time. It can be a text message. It can be a phone call. It can be an interaction with your kid. It can be a conversation with a coworker. And then the light bulb comes on. And what we've learned is there's two things that really happen. We learn something about God in those moments. And we learn something about ourselves. That is a kairos moment. And this language is starting to drip into the culture of our church. I was talking to someone this week and they said, hey, I was having a conversation with a friend, asking them how the week was going. And they said, oh man, we had this event happen. And I told them, I said, wow, that sounds like a kairos moment. And they said, yes, that's exactly what it was. We want this language to start happening because this is what discipleship means. Now, all of us, I think a majority of us in the room, have a desire to follow Jesus. And, and listen, if you're a non-believer in the room, man, you are so welcome here. We're so glad that you're here. Maybe you're sort of peeking over the fence, seeing what all of this is about. But, but our desire here is to really follow Jesus. And most of the time when I have conversations with people, here's the disconnect. They, 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 they have knowledge of the Bible, and, and they read the Bible, this, that, and the other, and then there's their everyday life. And they're like, ah, man, it feels like that there's a disconnect there. When we learn how to operate in kairos moments, what it really comes down to is learning to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And, and last week we said that there's like five sort of types of kairos moments, just a little bit of review. Because sometimes we have questions like, what really is a kairos moment? Well, the first one we said was a brick wall. That's like everything stops, tragedy, hold the phone, my life is never going to be the same again, and I know that. It's like running into a brick wall. And we saw that with Isaiah last week. It was incredible. Then there's what we call the speed bump. It's just kind of like, doo -doo, 
You know, that's kind of fun. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and go, do-do, right? Yeah, that's awesome, right? It's just a little speed bump. It's something that you notice, but it's something that you notice repeatedly. Maybe it's the conversation with the spouse or, or your child, and you're like, man, we, we keep having this conversation. What's, what's going on here? What, what do I need to learn here? Um, and then thirdly, the mirror, the mirror moment. What that is, is, is when you see something definitive about yourself. And for me, mirror moments always happen primarily with my kids. When, when I see one of my kids act a certain way to another one of my kids, I go, oh, there's one place they learned that. And it was their mother. Right? No, right? Right? It's like, oh man, that's exactly how I respond in moments, right? The mirror. And then there's um, the vision moment. The vision moment's a beautiful moment. Maybe it's a moment where you realize, oh, that's why, that's why we didn't build the house, or that's why we didn't, that's why I didn't take the job there, because now, oh man, I see it now. And it's an incredible moment. And then there's what we call the smile, the smile moment. And this is a text message. This can be anything, man. This can be one of those Facebook videos that someone recorded of a soldier coming home and they surprise their kid at school. I cry every time I see those videos, man. It's just a moment that brings joy to your heart. Listen, all of those, all of those involve God. And what we have said is that God is always present and at work. So the question is not, will God show up? That's not the question. The question is, will we wake up? Not, will God show up? And so we've been looking at these Kairos moments. Last week, we had an intense brick wall moment. And this week, I want to swing the pendulum the exact other way. And, and maybe this will help. Um, this past week, on a Monday... I had quite the Kairos moment. Um, I love, I'm one of those sick and twisted people that I love mowing my lawn. Really enjoy mowing it. I love seeing those lines that I put in the grass. And I have this little competitive obsession streak that I want my yard to look better than my neighbors. Okay, all right, I'm just, I'm gonna lay that out there, okay? I'm gonna lay it out there. And so anytime I'm like, all right, I'm gonna get the lawn looking good. So I was mowing the lawn this Monday, um, uh, this past Monday. Listen, I was even, listen, I was listening to worship music, okay? I mean, I am praising Jesus, I am mowing the lawn, I'm doing all that stuff, right? And then the moment happened. Little bit of a bump, my phone falls out of my pocket, it bounces right in front of me, falls in front of the mower, gets sucked in, and then blown right out of the side of it. And I ran <laughs> over my phone. Little surprising fact, did you know iPhones have a lot of paper in them? There's like a layer of paper in there. It's crazy. But, and then the second thought was, that's worth how much? When I went to AT&T, I was like, this pile of stuff is worth that much? My goodness. But um, there's a different kind of Kairos moment. It dawned on me um, right when I ran over my phone. Um, 
had all my messages and pictures and stuff of me and JT on my phone. And so I had a little bit of a panic. I was like, am I going to be able to recover these things? I don't think there's anywhere they can plug in um, to recover anything. And, and, and luckily, my phone had been backed up to a certain date. And so I had a majority of the messages. I was at AT&T until almost 9 o'clock and all of that stuff. But here was my question whenever I was driving home late at night. It was a very big deal to me, the, the messages and the conversation that I had with JT. And, and, and for some reason, when I mowed over my phone, there was a finality again of him being gone and, and I'm not going to get another message and all of that. And it was a big Kairos moment for me. But here was my question when, when I drove home. I thought to myself, does God care about stuff like this? I mean, I mean be, be careful. Don't, don't just answer that as a knee-jerk response, right? I mean, the, the God of the universe. I mean, we're seeing now all of these pictures that NASA's uh, telescope and satellite is sending back. And, and I mean, incredible stuff. And the God of the cosmos, the omnipotent, omnipresent God. Does God care about something like that that really affected my life and brought a lot of emotions up to me? Here's, here's what I want to do today. I want to answer that question in this series called Defining Moments. Because here's what I think we do when we're following Jesus. I think we know for sure that God's doing something in moments of, of tragedy, brick wall moments. But I think there is a massive gap and disconnect in our everyday mundane lives. And listen, life is hard. Like life is real hard. And you've got the kids and you've got work and then it's, and then there's four weekends in a row that you had the thing and the stuff. And then you get home and you realize, oh my gosh, all the laundry. And then there's all of the, does God care about these, these moments that we have these tiny Kairos moments? Does God care about this stuff. I believe that the passage that we read gives us some insight. But here's what I want to do. I want to teach you something today. I want to teach you what, what scholars and theologians, listen, guys pay tens of thousands of dollars for this in seminary, and you're getting it for what you paid for to walk in the door today, all right? Um, this is called systematic theology. Theology, theos, is God, Ology being the study of. Theology means the study of God. And systematic theology is taking a concept or attribute of God and chasing it line by line through the scriptures. Then you have all of this evidence to be able to go, I believe, through God's word, I can answer that question. Because the dangerous thing is, is when you see a question like, does God care about stuff like this? The most dangerous thing that we can say is this sentence. Well, I feel like, because now what we're doing is we're making God in our image rather than submitting ourselves to the God that made us in his image. Does God care about stuff like this? 
Well, listen to what David wrote in Psalm chapter 8. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. David's having a Kairos moment. David's at like Red Rock or something like that camping. He's on Current River late at night and he looks up and he sees it all and he's blown away by God's power. Then it dawns on him. The God that created that is the same God that created me. Wow, who is this God? That's incredible. Or how about this in Psalm 56? You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Guys, can I just say something to you here? Can we never move past stuff like this? Can we never just become like, well, you know, I, well, pastor, that's good for you today, but, you know, when you said the word systematic theology, I was really hoping that you would get into the divine will and the human free will of the preordained destination to all of the, okay? Every time anybody talks like that, I immediately in my mind go, yeah, I'm not going to like you, okay, right? Because, because we love to get distracted with information and to know. And listen, can Hallmark please not take this away from us? To not make this cheesy? That the God of the cosmos is not only mindful of your sorrows, but this God cares so much about you that the writer tried to express to his best intent that God even collects every tear that falls from your eye. That's the God of the Bible. And then to translate it even more, Jesus in Luke's gospel says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why even the hairs of your head are all numbered? For some of us, it's easy to keep count of, right? Okay. <laughs> Fear not. Oh gosh, guys, this is so good. Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Here's a question. Why did Jesus say fear not? What, I mean, look at it. He's talking about God knowing. Why, why would he say fear not? Because I think in those small Kairos moments, we feel like we're alone and we feel like nobody cares and then the fear and the anxiety washes over you and then the lies start to creep in of it all depends on me and what am I going to do I've got to say because this bill and then it's all and it starts mounting up and then Jesus comes along and he just says to us fear not do you see those birds birds God even knows about the birds fear not you can trust him. 
So, so here's what's interesting, right? What, what we see in all of these verses, again, this is systematic theology. It's just chasing it down. Making, not making the Bible say what you want it to say, but insurmountable evidence right here in just a few of these verses that the, the beauty of God lies in this tension. That God is all-powerful and all-personal at the same time. And I think we don't live in that tension of both and. We default to either or. Either or for some of us. So, so how about this? Let's, let's look at this just to graph it. All-powerful, all-personal. Here, God is super powerful. Here, God, in my mind, is not that powerful. Here, God is super personal. And over here, God's not really that personal. So, if you fall in this category, and your default image of God is that he is all-powerful for sure. I mean, of course God created everything. But when it comes to mowing over my phone or this, that, and the other in these small Kairos moments, I think God is way more powerful than he is personal. In your mind, God is a dictator because it's rule and it's reign and it's sovereignty and God is in control with the scepter and, and your image, your mental image of God is almost like old man winter. It's like this distant, powerful God. But on the reverse, if, if maybe your default setting is, you know, God is real, per you know, you know, you light your incense and you start talking about God, right? God is all personal. But I just, I don't have to worry about the power stuff. Um, and in your mind, God is, is a buddy. God's a buddy. God's, God's super constantly only affirming, never challenging God's never going to ask me to, to do a, a super-duper hard thing that, that I'm afraid to do or correct me or we're just, this is, you remember the old t-shirts, Jesus is my homeboy? Like, Jesus is my homeboy, right? And then we see the images of the resurrected Jesus and every time he appears, everyone's like, oh, don't kill me, right? They're like, oh, my goodness, right? Or how about just, Nah, I just don't worry about that stuff, man. I don't think about the all-powerful. All, you know, I'm here today. The, and I really think in your mind, God, God's boring. I just, nah, I don't really, you know. I think we can fall into some of these categories in our default position when it comes to these defining moments. And then, and then you're in small group or, or, or you're at your men's table and you hear someone talking about battling cancer and then it becomes your turn to share about what's going on in your life and you go, I mean, I don't, that was way more important. Like that's not, God doesn't really care. I'm not going to really say anything. But the reality is the Bible tells us these are wrong. He's all powerful and he's all personal which means God is Father. God is Father. 
God is the perfect, loving Father. And so when we look at an Old Testament obscure passage like this, okay? Now we're to the passage. Did you see the work that we had to get in order to get there? Here's what's going on in the story. Elisha is the prophet, and there's a prophet school, and now they're, 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 they're outgrowing it, essentially. And so what they say is, let's be proactive, and we're going to go chop down some trees that are by the Jordan River, and we're going to build and add on to our prophet school. This is going to be fantastic, right? And so as they're doing it, they ask Elisha to go along with them. And we'll get to that in a little bit. That's really interesting. And then as they're there, a guy has an axe, and he's swinging the axe. And, and those of you with tools, and those of you guys who, and, and ladies who work with this stuff, so back then, an iron axe head would have been really expensive. That would have been very, very difficult to find something like that. And it probably had a wooden handle, and so you know that the wood can change with weather. It can be wet, it can be dry, all of that, and it can affect the handle. So he's swinging the axe, and wing, the axe head flies off and goes down into the river. <laughs> and, then he, and then he goes to Elisha, and he says this, help, right? Well, why is it such a big deal? And then he says it right there in the text. Um, wasn't my axe head, buddy, right? It was borrowed. And now all of you who are like, that's why I never let anybody borrow my tools, man. I've got a Bible verse to back it up now. I know that's what you're thinking. And it's always the exception. That never happens to me. And you're like, it always happens every time I loan something out, right? And then there's this moment. Elisha's like, where did it happen? They go back to where it was. And Elisha is a, the prophet of God. God spoke through prophets, thus saith the Lord. And Elisha gets a stick and he throws it into the Jordan where the guy said the general area that it was. And then I love this line. Look at verse 6, the very end of it. He threw it in there and made the iron float. Just stop and meditate on that. That's a contradiction, <laughs> that the iron doesn't float. Why in the world is this in the Bible? And then think about this. The miracle that comes before this is Nahum, the mighty warrior man of God, who has leprosy, dips seven times in the Jordan and is healed of leprosy. It's an incredible miracle. It's one of the great miracles of the Old Testament. And then the miracle that happens right after the axe head is a, a man gets taken into heaven by horses and chariots of fire. I mean, I mean, I mean, think about this. It is incredible miracle, incredible miracle, incredible miracle, and then, and Acts said, and then incredible miracle and incredible miracle. Why in the world would God record something like this for us? Um, there's a little verse that's tucked away in the book of Romans, and, and it actually gives us insight into the Old Testament. 
I think a lot of times people are like, man, those Old Testament stories, what is the deal about that, man? Um, the Apostle Paul says this in Romans 15. Watch this. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Well, why was it written for our instruction? That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. All of these stories are recorded for God to tell us one dominant thing. And he says it very clearly in the book of Malachi. He says this, for I am the Lord, and I change not. It's the same God. It's the same God. The same God that's taking people up in chariots of fire and healing people of leprosy gets involved in a floating axe head. Listen, if there's a big idea that could just sort of slide into your DMs today, it's this. We have a big God that really cares about small things. And, and, and I just hope that when that sentence and that truth hits you, that it almost makes you go, yeah. That it would give you hope. That it would give you encouragement to know that the God of the cosmos does care about what's going on in your life. Now, listen, I do think it's important to understand and view God rightly. I'm not so sure that the God of the cosmos is mad concerned about you getting the front parking spot at Walmart whenever you pull in, okay? And you're like, I prayed to him. I was like, oh, Lord, give us the front parking spot, right? Listen, the context of this passage is really important. They are doing God's will. They're building a prophet school. God told them to do that. They are working in acts of obedience, and then something happens that's going to restrict them from accomplishing what God has told them to do. God is empowering them to further their obedience. I always say this, and I heard this from Pastor Adrian Rogers, and he said this, God's love is not a pampering love. So when I say we have a big God that cares about small things, what we often try to do is go, yep, God wants to work everything in my life for my comfort so I don't have to do hard things. God's love is not a pampering love. It is a perfecting love. It is a perfecting love. He is working everything out in your life to make you more like Jesus. And it's interesting that one of the other prophets asks Elisha to go. Did you, did you pick that up in the text? They're like, hey, we're going to go do manual labor and cut down trees. Oh, dear prophet, do you want to go with us? Just a little bit of a newsflash. Prophets aren't really known for slinging axe heads, okay? And doing all of this type of stuff. And I, and, and I just had this thought that came in my heart this week. We have a big God who cares about small things. But the question is this. Do we care about small things? Or do we view that phone call as an inconvenience and an obstacle?
And what if, in reality, it's actually an opportunity? It's a Kairos moment. And Elisha says yes, and he goes with them. But do you see how the text is working itself out? When the axe head flies into the water, if Elisha had not been there, that would be a big problem. What this text is teaching us, and most scholars believe the main thrust of the text, is it's teaching us about God's providence. Providence. That's a big $3 word, and so is mayonnaise, okay? So we're going to learn something today about God's providence. God's providence, to define it this way, is this. God's providence is his consistent and continual care for his creation. That's what providence is. God did not just create everything and then step back and step away. God created everything and is involved in his creation. Did you know that this is one of the main attributes of God that separates him in Christianity from all other religions? For in Islam, Allah is too powerful. He created it but stepped back. Allah would not be involved in the affairs of men. But what we have with Christianity is a God who created everything, but continually and consistently cares for his creation. And by the way, this God cares so much that he wrote himself into the story, that Jesus Christ becomes God in the flesh. This story is teaching us that you have a big God that cares, that cares about small things, anything that deals with your relationship with him and that is a Kairos moment. God cares about that. The thrust of it really is this. Do we care about it? Think about Jesus's ministry. Jesus is like, oh, um, I need to travel to another town. So what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to go through Samaria. You're going to go through Samaria? That doesn't make any sense. That's going to add hours on your trip. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to go that way. And, and then he meets a woman at a well. And then he has a conversation. Or one day he's in church and he's watching people drop money into the offering box. And then he sees a poor widow who has nothing and drops it into the box. And then he says, God is in this place because she gave out of her very life. Jesus lived his life looking at small things and caring about small things and the parables and all of that. And Jesus would be so bold as to say these words. Therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? After all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows what you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not Worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Sufficient is today for its own troubles. Do you know what Jesus is saying? He would go on to teach us in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day 
This day, our daily bread, not tomorrow's bread, not next week's bread, but today's bread. This is how God's providence works in that exact moment, at the exact time, no more, no less, God continually cares for you and all of the small things in your life. But I believe that we have poor responses to God's providence. Um, I think we struggle with it at times. And, and, and maybe this will just help with a little bit of language that maybe, why am I not picking up on these Kairos moments? Why am I not um, discerning what God is saying to me? Um, I think one poor response, the first one is anxiety. Um, anxiety, by the way, takes a future possibility and makes it a present reality. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't worry about tomorrow. Worry, anxiety, future tense. It always deals with the future, and it has these two words that hang over it. What if? Always. Anxiety says, what if God doesn't provide? Like, I know what you're saying, Pastor. I know what you're saying. Pastor, I get it. I get it. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Rah, rah. Siskin, fog, and wind. Right? All that good. Like, we know all the stuff. But deep down inside, if God does not come through, the marriage, the final, whatever, it's over for me. It's over for me. Um, or, or how about the second response, which is bitterness. Bitterness says, God didn't provide the way that I wanted. God provided, but not, I am bitter about that. I prayed for months, for years, and then this is how this turns out? That's bitterness. And then what about resentment? Resentment says God got it wrong. God got it wrong. Listen, I think all of us in this room have felt these emotions. But what we have to understand is that God's providence and what we see in this text is his continual care for not just the big things, but the small things in your life. So I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what you're working through. It might be a relationship. It might be finances. It might be health. And, and, and what you're wrestling with is, you know, um, I would go have that conversation with them. I would do that if I knew how they would respond. If I know that I'm going to put myself out there and they're going to respond this way, then, then I'll have that conversation. And God doesn't work that way because that's not faith anymore. You're not trusting in God. You're trusting on your own ability. And faith is saying, I'm going to have the conversation. And in that moment, I'm just going to trust God on the outcome. I'm going to trust God. But what I see of a, float, or of a floating axe head in Scripture is that there's no such thing as their kairos moments a lot bigger than my kairos moment. At the end of the day, you have a big God that cares about these small things. So as the band comes and leads us in a time of response, what's the application here, man? Because listen, that's a lot of theology. 
that's a lot of Bible verse. That's a lot of chasing this thought down. I mean, pastor, you even had a graph up here that was like to the corner left quadrant. It looked like, I mean, like how am I supposed to apply this to my life? Well, if the proper view of God is that he's all powerful and all personal and that we have a big God that cares about small things, what are we supposed to do? I'll never forget the story in a biography that I was reading. The year was 1930s, and the young girl's name was Adeline DeLong. Adeline DeLong. And Adeline was a young girl in grade school, and she was at home working on her math homework. And she just could not figure out this math homework. She was getting filled with anxiety. She thought she was going to fail the test. She began to get so worried. And then she remembered her sweet old neighbor. And she thought she remembered her mom talking about the neighbor being some sort of teacher or something like that. So Adeline got some chocolate fudge and knocked on the door next door and said, Dear Sir... I'm having trouble with my math homework. Can you please help me? And the man helped her, and it was great, and it was good. And then her mom arrives home, and she said, Dear Adeline, did you get your math homework done? And she said, Oh, yes, Mommy, I did. I took some fudge to the neighbor man next door, and he helped me. And her mom said, Adeline, you did what? Oh, Adeline, I cannot believe that you bothered him. Oh, what, what did he say? What? And Adeline said, well, he asked for an extra piece of fudge. That's what he asked for. Because you see, Adeline's neighbor was Albert Einstein. And it's recorded in uh, Walter Isaacson's biography of Einstein. Think about it for just a moment. Adeline is in grade school, and she knocks on the door to, at that time, by far, hands down, the most brilliant man on the planet. He probably had to stop his work of splitting an atom or something like that to go answer the door. And he saw it, and he met the need. I don't think it's any coincidence that Jesus says... Um, if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, then you need to be like a child. For such is filled with the kingdom of heaven. You see, I think we have a big God that cares about small things, but here's the application that I believe that can change your life. You think that he doesn't care. And here's my challenge to you today. Would you just surrender no matter how big or how small it is? and specifically the small things. So the questions that we've been dealing with in this series is this. What is the Spirit of God saying to you through the Word of God? You just saw the evidence, and hopefully um, you've seen that God cares about small things. So what is the small thing that you were willing to surrender to God? What is the Spirit of God saying to you through the Word of God? But the last question is this. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? For we have a God that is all-powerful and all-personal who cares for you. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today grateful for your word.
because your word corrects the very image that we have in our mind. And God, most of the time, our default response is to have some distorted view of who this God is. Some people in this room today think that you are a dictator who is out to get every wrong and you have a checklist of sins and because they haven't stepped foot in church in a while or prayed or read or done this that you are so disappointed in them. And then God, the other side is some of us in here today have such a low view of you God, forgive us of creating you in our image, a God that would never challenge, never convict, and always affirm and endorse every decision in our life. And God, I pray for those in the room today whose heart and mind is not captivated to anything. They just are bored with this Christianity thing. I pray all three, all of us in the room today would rightly see you as the good and perfect father. The big God who created the universe, who cares about all things, even the small things. So God, I pray today that it would be a Kairos moment for someone in this room. That the thing that they just embarrassed, they, they, they think about it all the time in their daydream, all of that. And, and yet they haven't asked their community group or their friends, hey, would you pray about this thing with me today? Because they think that God doesn't care. God, I pray today that we would be like little Adeline and that we would knock on the door of heaven. And the God who has angels surrounding the throne saying, holy, 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 day and night, never ceasing, addresses his children. God, I pray that we surrender it and that we leave it to you. And that you would speak to us in our Kairos moments. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious and in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.